everyone in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And welcome to this Adventure Year 2021. 2020 has actually been a very fascinating year in many ways. It's been a year of pain, a year of challenges, a year of struggles. But it's also been a year of being drawn to God. So we, we need to acknowledge, even as we start 2021, the grace of God that has kept us thus far. We need to acknowledge God as the one who has sustained us and seen us through 2020. And we need to declare our own Ebenezer. Thus far the Lord has taken us Thus far, the Lord has been with us. My own sense of 2021 20, is that it's going to be a year of adventure for God's children. And the ionic beauty of this year is that you don't have to be told this is the year of this and that, 20 what what. The beauty of this year is that you should have learned from 2020 that what man declares is not necessarily what God says. And when you don't hear God for yourself, you are likely to be deceived by annual declarations of what that year holds. But God has called you and me to hear from him for ourselves. There is a buzz phrase that has started from since last year, and, it, and it, it, it carries a lot of truth to it. And the buzz phrase is that we are living in a new reality. However, the question I want to ask, even as we start off this year, is who's creating this reality for you? In which reality are you going to choose to live in this year? And for children of God, I want to read for you what I hope will align your, your new reality with the truth of God's word. So let me admonish you, first of all, by reading from the book of Isaiah, verse 40, Isaiah 43, rather, verse 1 and 2. Then I'll jump to 10 to 13, 16, 18 to 19. Isaiah 43, reading from verse 1 to 2. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by your name, you are mine. When you pass through waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. That you may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. 
I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me, there is no other. There's no other Savior. I have declared and saved. I have proclaimed, and there was no foreign God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God indeed before the day was, I am he. There is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work, and who will reverse it? Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Here's an amazing thing. Whilst everyone is talking about this new reality, whilst everyone is buzzing around about the fact that the coronavirus has changed our lives, and that's a fact, a fact that we can never deny. However, the truth is God has always been doing a new and a sure thing that guarantees our deliverance and our victory from whatever the enemy has always been devising as his new plan. There are so many things we want to say at this point about the pandemic. But suffice to say, the church must not be lulled into thinking that this new reality does not have the hand of the enemy in it. It does because sickness and disease, whatever their cause, whatever their origin, whatever the theories behind them are the works of the enemy. Sickness and diseases emanate from the curse. Sickness and diseases emanate from the work of Satan and his cohorts. And sickness and diseases, pandemics, are the enemies of the finished work of the cross of Jesus. For by his stripes we are healed. And so, let us not be lulled into thinking, into just believing what we are told. Let us ask ourselves, what is God doing that is new? God has always had new things happening. We've just not been aligning ourselves, nor listening, nor following. We need to pray for our spiritual blindness to be healed, to see beyond the natural, to pray for our spiritual deafness to be healed, to hear what God is speaking. And so, today, uh, I just want us to talk about these words that we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Nevertheless, when one tends to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When one tends their focus to Jesus, the veil is taken away. I want us to, to take a little bit of a journey into the Old Testament about this veil. 
We know for, from reading the Old Testament and the New Testament that the veil spoken about here is the veil Moses put to cover his face that shone with the glory of God when he came from the mountain from speaking with God. But we also have to be mindful of what it means and what are the implications, the up-to-date applications of this veil being removed in Christ. I want to read the chapter and just look at the ideas that Paul was surfacing from the Old Testament, importing them into the New Testament and taking them through the course of Christ to filter for us the new realities. He's doing a parallel, call it a parallel study or a parallel observation of what it meant for Moses to bring the law to people. Now remember, John tells us that Moses, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And therefore, the parallelism that is being run is what are the experiences of those who lived through the law and those who are supposed to live through grace and truth found in Christ Jesus. Now remember, Romans chapter 10, verse 4 tells us that Jesus is the end of the law. The law is the shadow of what was yet to come. The law is just a shadow. The reality is found in Christ. But we can expose it in the preaching. The truth remains. To theologize is easy. The th to theologize is cheap. But to live in Christ at whatever cost for your life, it's a different reality. Being a disciple of Christ in a wicked world is a costly reality. And it is a, it is a reality that demands of us to live in grace and in truth. And to understand the implications for our lives when we, in, we try to import into the life of grace the legalism of the law. So we read from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm reading from verse 1. Um, it says, do we begin to commend ourselves or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you. You, Corinthians, are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us. You are a letter to the world of the goodness of God that the preaching of the gospel has brought to the world to see the goodness of God as, the, as people who are sinners turn and become God's children and displaying the goodness of God in the land of the living. Says clearly you are an epistle of Christ. You have the signature of Christ upon your life. Written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone but on tablets of flesh that is of the heart. Which means you are not just experiencing the law as a theological proclamation. But you are experiencing the fulfillment of the law of 
Christ as your living day-to-day experience. Verse 4, and we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Ministers of the new covenant out of the introduction of being ministers of the new covenant, you and I having been transformed into the likeness of Christ continually, having come into the reality of being God's children. We are ministers of the new covenant. But many of us still want to live into the new, into the Old Testament. Many of us still want to hear from other people what God is saying. Now, Paul, as we read further down, I want you to observe with me how he uses the word ministry in the new covenant, we as ministers, in contrast to the ministry of the letter of legalism, of just being churchgoers of just being Bible readers who avoid of conviction about what God is saying about this world and end times and therefore ready to live out in obedience what God is saying. That we do not just listen to what governments and people are saying. We are ministers of a different thing from what they are preaching. He says, we are sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, the letter being now the legalism, the law as it was espoused by Moses. He says, for the letter kills. How does the letter kills? The letter kills by making pronouncements for or against something without giving the, or supplying the grace and the ability and the anointing to do it. The letter says, thou shalt not envy, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not covet. And the letter will condemn you for coveting. The letter will condemn you for, for idolatry. Whilst it does not uproot evil out of you, whilst it does not provide the grace, that is found in Jesus. The grace that is found in Jesus, Titus says, the grace that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no. It enables us to say no to ungodliness. The letter does not do that. The letter tells you that don't do it, but it does not enable you not to do it. And when you do it, it condemns you to death. Thus Paul says, through the law, I died to the law. So the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, let's make this comparison again. Listen to verse 7. Speaking of the letter, speaking of legalism, speaking of turning our backs against God and listening to what everyone else is saying. It says, but if the ministry of death, 
The legalism written on engraved stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance. Which glory was passing away? The glory of the law. All the things, that the regulations we had been told, even what Moses told, was passing away because Christ is the end of the law. The law points to Christ. So the ministry of the law, the ministry of legality, Paul says of it, is the ministry of death. And yet it was glorious because it came from God. He says... How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? The ministry of the Spirit. The Spirit gives life. We'll come to that idea just now. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of death, the ministry of the letter, the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. The ministry of the Spirit is the ministry of righteousness. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. The glory that is in Christ excels the glory that shone on the face of Moses. I'm still just comparing the two. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. The end of what was passing away. The law with its regulations pointed to Jesus, but it was a ministry that fades away. It was passing away. But their minds were blinded. The minds of those who followed the law, who were legalistic, who were religious, who just had the form of godliness but denied its power. Their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Their minds are blinded. A veil covers their hearts. And this is what we're talking about. Nevertheless, when one tends to the Lord, when one turns to Jesus in repentance, in trust, in full surrender, in obedience, the veil is removed. There is clarity. We'll come to that just now. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled faces. When we have met God like Moses with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. So here's where we, we want to take a journey into. When one turns to Jesus, 
the veil is removed. Let's look at the history of this veil in Israel. Israel had been taken out of Egypt. And they came to Mount Sinai and God speaks to Moses. He says, I want you to consecrate the people. I want to speak to them myself. And the Bible says, when God came, he spoke to them. And there was billowing of smoke. There was thunder. In Exodus 20, verse 21, it says, And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness of where God was. As, they, as he drew close, God kept speaking to them. God spoke. And what did the people say? The people spoke these words. Let's go back to, let's go to, to chapter 34. When God was speaking, the people said to Moses, we do not want God to speak to us. You speak to us. You speak to us. So people have always had a history of not wanting to hear directly from God, but hearing from other men. And, and so it remains today. Everyone wants to hear from the men of God, but God calls everyone to himself. He says, come unto me. He says, even if your sins may be read like crimson, he says, you who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me. He says, let us reason together. The, the writer of Hebrews admonishes us, Come, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. But people still want to hear. 2021 is going to prove that you want a veil. You don't want the reality of God's face for your faith, for yourself. But here's the beautiful thing and a sad thing at the same time. He who went, as others stood far, he who went close, came, the Bible says, we behold as in the mirror, and we are transformed. The very nature of God's glory is rubbed on us, and the glory of God was rubbed on Moses. The divinity clothed the, the natural. The natural already now carried the supernatural, but it became a foreign concept to the other Israelites and Moses when he came he shone with God's glory remember it was a fading glory but it was still a divine encounter it set him apart from the rest and when he got to them he did something they could not handle the supernatural in their midst. They could not handle the working of God in their midst. Firstly, they rejected his voice. Now his glory has come. And here's a sad thing. The glory of God has come to them in a second-hand form. 
It didn't come as God as he wanted to present himself. It came now as Moses carrying the crumbs of what God had to give each one of them. But even that they could not take. They would rather have it clothed. They rejected the original glory. They still would not have part in the second-hand glory. What does this veil do? It means, number one, this veil prevents them from at least seeing the taste of what it looks like to be in the presence of God, to be a child of God, to be in a place of the supernatural. Covers the only face that would reflect what it feels like. This veil creates a shadow of what lies behind. They don't know the reality of what lies behind. This veil prevents them from interacting with the supernatural. It prevents them from hearing firsthand from God. This veil is also like the curtain in the temple. Men had chosen to stay away. And when the temple was, the, the, the tabernacle was put, it was put with that reality now. There was the holy of holies where they could not go. But in Christ, not only is the veil removed, but the curtain as well. The curtain was torn. So in Christ, we enter into the Holy of Holies. In Christ, we are able to partake in the divine glory, in the first-hand reality of being children of God, in the first-hand reality of living in the supernatural amidst the natural things. But God's people have a history, as I said, of denying it, of refusing it. In the book of Samuel, God had operated in theocracy. He had ruled over his people's sins. But man has a tendency to choose another man against God. And the Bible says, then they said to Samuel, we want a king. Samuel goes to God, he says, they've rejected me. God says, no, they have not rejected you, they've rejected me. And so these days, we are being conditioned. The Bible says, he who waits upon the Lord. There's such an expectation for God to come through. But we are being conditioned to wait for our presidents to hear what they're going to say. With a view to unconditionally obey and comply. Is it wrong or right? It depends on what God is saying to you in the context of what is being said to you. If God says comply, comply. If God says something different, do what God says to you. But we are being conditioned to continually choose men, to continually do what the, the legalistic approach to life espouses. 
Exert yourself, exert your will, choose yourself, do what you can, and if anything at all, if all else fails, go to God. But this is what Jeremiah 17, 5 verse 8 reminds us. It says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in men, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wasteland. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the past places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. There will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its root by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It le its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So, many of us now, Live our lives with a veil. We are like the servant of Elijah who only saw enemies because his spiritual eyes were veiled. It was only when the man of God says to God, God, open his eyes that he may see that many are those with us and those with the enemies. A veil gives you a wrong perspective. A veil allows you to only see a shadow. A veil darkens your vision. But we need to be healed of spiritual blindness to see beyond what everyone is trying to show us. What even this pandemic has done to see what God is doing. To know that Jesus is Lord from the rising of the sun to the setting down of the same. He is Lord over the affairs of man. Man may choose by his will to do his own thing. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but the Lord's will will prevail. And it's time that the church rises, not even against coronavirus or what the the the. the government of the... No, 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 no. We rise in obedience to what God is saying he's doing. What God is saying we must be doing. We rise in total surrender to the working of God's grace, to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because no eye has seen. These people are speaking of what they have seen. Only in the natural, but no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has in store. They have things happening in the natural, but God beyond the natural has in store something more beautiful for us as his children, more profound than the, this world has seen. So we need the minister of the spirit when we are faced with life and death. The spirit gives life. The Spirit leads us into all truth. Jesus says, if you are truly my disciples, 
You will know the truth. You will abide by the truth. You will hide the truth in your heart. But the Spirit of God will come. And when the ministry of the Spirit has come in these last days, remember God has given us the Spirit in the last days. The devil gives us all these trials and tribulations. But in, 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 in to counter all this, God gave us his spirit. And Jesus speaking in, in John 16 from verse 13, he says, when the Holy Spirit, when he comes, the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. He will show you what is to come. He will take off what is mine and give it to you. He will not speak of his own. Who are we listening to? Who's creating our reality? But if any man be in Christ, He's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, things have become new. If any man be in Christ, turn in repentance towards Christ. Sinner, turn to Christ for the days are gone. The days are here. Time is not on your side. Child of God, turn to your father that the veil may be removed. You can see the future with clarity. Let's Let's lend it. There's so many things to say, but let's lend it by saying this way. All knowledge and experiences that do not draw you towards God this time, they will diminish in their value as you approach the grave. And certainly so beyond the grave. Whatever your experiences, whatever your debates, whatever, anything that is not taking you towards God, this time around. You'll wish you never had such knowledge. You'll wish you never had such experiences if God, your faith in God was not solidified by what you go through, by what you're seeing in the world, by what you are hearing. Everything that we hear, everything that we see must make us run faster towards Jesus. For the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they are saved. Look not to governments, look not to politicians, look not to any other man, lest you live in a case. Look to God. Look to Jesus. If you turn to him, the veil of this deception the veil of not seeing the future, the veil that creates hopelessness, the veil of being visionless, the veil that makes you think it's all gloom and doom will be removed. And soon you will see the beauty of what God has for you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Can I pray for you and for myself? Lord, we are a people who are hearing many voices but are not resolute in hearing one voice, your voice, the clarity of your voice in the midst of all these voices. I pray that you open our spiritual ears to hear you say, this is the way to go. 
I pray that you heal our eyes, put the balm of Gilead on our different wounds. Open our eyes to see your glory shining despite this cloud of darkness. Let the church arise in you in boldness whilst we put on masks, Lord. May our voice not be quenched. Whilst we are made to social distance, may we not forsake the unity of the body of Christ. May we continue to encourage one another unto good works. Whilst we are preached to of the pandemic, may we not fail to believe in the healing power that is in the blood of Christ Jesus, the finished work of the cross of Jesus. I pray again for, for faith, Lord, for vigor, that children of God will not have the spirit of cowardice because out of the city of God, Jerusalem, are liars and cowards and dogs and adulterers. May we not be those who shrink back as we seek to cooperate with the government. May we never make the government the final voice of our sanity, the final voice of our faith. May we, by your grace, be enabled to turn to Jesus and see in his face a warrior and take that warrior spirit and fight wherever we find ourselves, whether it's under lockdown, whatever the circumstances. But let your church arise. I pray that you restore your people, restore their businesses, restore their faith, restore their marriages, heal the sick, Lord. Make us a new testimony that this world needs to hear. Help us to declare loudly, louder than before, Jesus is Lord. And we will serve no foreign gods, nor any other treasure, but you, our God. Do with us what pleases you, that we may bring you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and have a blessed week ahead. Jesus name.